Hi, I'm Rich Wynn. And I'm Rebecca Nixon. And this is the PropTech Growth Podcast. Every episode, we interview an expert in the PropTech startup space, gathering their advice and expertise to help you run a successful PropTech business. I'm the portable PropTech CMO, and I help PropTech startups build and scale their commercial growth strategy. I'm Rich from Richwind Consultancy. I specialise in operations, sales and process, helping fintechs and PropTech companies to grow. Extraordinarily, this is my sixth decade, actually, believe it or not, in the property industry. I worked in the 70s, 80s, 90s, noughties, 10s, and now 20s. So that's the sixth decade in which I've actually worked. And so I first started an agency in 1979, having been booted out of Bristol University for, not sure that I can say this on camera, but smoking too much dope rather than working. But that was another story entirely. I was doing mechanical engineering. I left, went to London, started working for Chesterton's, which in the old days was a proper old-fashioned partnership. They articled, you walked, went around all the business, all the different offices and departments learning how it all worked. But I very quickly discovered I didn't want to be a surveyor, that I could sell. So I got into the selling side of it. And so I stayed in agency for, well, on what I suppose you might describe as a journeyman um, uh, path until the mid-90s when the guys at Douglas and Gordon turned around to me and said, we'd like you to come and work. And I'd always worked in Chelsea. So that's always been where I'd done my work, which is a fantastic place to work. And in those days, it was a fun place to work because people actually live there. Nowadays, unfortunately, no one actually lives in Chelsea. They own a property and they just go there once every 10 years to check it's still there. It's very dull. But anyway, in those days, it was fantastic and, and great fun. And in the mid-90s, 1995, Michael Hodgson, wonderful man who was chairman of Uber, came to me and said, we'd like you to come and run our Chelsea office. And I discovered that I was much better at managing people and motivating people than I was to actually get out and sell. Even though I could sell, I was I turned out to be a very good sort of motivator and a runner of a team. And I ended up really over the next 25 years running no more than two teams in my office. They stayed for a very long time. We had a great team. It was great fun. And during that period, I acquired somehow or other the ability to do a lot of good PR stuff. And PR is something people really don't understand. They understand it a bit better now. But back then, people just thought PR, they didn't understand it, didn't think it worked. And it is the most phenomenal marketing tool. But it's a long-term marketing tool. It takes time for people to understand who you are. And I ended up writing for 10 years as the property expert in the Sunday Times. I did another 10 years as the agent provocateur in the Daily Telegraph. I now do spectator columns. I do regular. I've just come literally just before I was talking to you. I was talking to Ian Collins on Talk TV. I do all sorts of talks on Times Radio, other bits and pieces. And I love all of that sort of stuff because I tend to just call a spade rather than messing about and trying to pretend it's all great or all bad or whatever it is. And PR was a gift that came to me. I was very lucky. I was married to someone. I am now married to someone who was very big in PR, who gave me a lot of lessons, particularly in terms of my writing. So during that period, I became a fellow of the Royal Institution of Chartered Surveyors. So I acquired a ridiculous bit of extra sort of kudos that is quite difficult to come by because people think if you're a fricks, you must actually know what you're talking about. And then by the time I got to the sort of mid-2000, mid-2000-teens or whatever, I was getting, frankly, quite bored of being an estate agent. I've been an estate agent for 37 years, and my wife and I came up with the idea for Vuba, 
which is effectively what we had been talking about as we were walking around the fields here in Dorset, which is where I'm sitting. We were trying to work out what sort of thing there was a gap for in the market, the property market. And we realized that certainly for the last four years, I was, I was at D&G. I was one of a team running the whole business and we had a problem with weekend viewings. And I wanted to set something up so that you could almost have freelance weekend viewing staff on tap anywhere in the UK. And I thought of the idea. My wife said, that's a really good idea. We should do something about it. I then went to talk to one or two people about it. A friend of mine, luckily with a lot more money than me, a guy called Marcus Tafferanti said, that's a really good idea. I'll do that with you. So we went and set up Viewer. I left Douglas and Gordon to go and start it. And so I've had a hell of a journey now in the prop tech space, talking to all the estate agents, all sorts of estate agents. And now we do property management, housing associations, all sorts of other bits and pieces. So the knowledge I've acquired over the recent, particularly over the last six or seven years, has put me, I think, into a completely different league. A lot of people know estate agency and a lot of people know prop tech, but they really, or that sort of technology side, but they really don't know both sides of it. So it's been a fascinating journey for me, and that encompasses agents from the size of Savills down to one-man bands, of which there are a huge number, as you well know, um, and the online sector from Purple Bricks, again, to small hybrids. So it's been a fascinating journey. Oh, amazing. That sounds, yeah, it's pretty good. I think there's two other people that we've had on here who lasted 37 years in a state agency and then said that's enough. Uh, maybe the 37th year is, is is the killer that's when you either die or go on to do something else so. the trouble is a lot of people in the state agency don't have much of a succession planning it's all very well if you're in a big company and you get a big payout or you know you're getting bonuses every year or whatever it is but if you're running your own business which 80 percent of people are when they come to retire the only value they tend to have in their business these days which is a real turnaround from where it used to be in the 70s and 80s uh, is in their lettings book so that's all they have to sell, really. And most people don't have a succession plan. They don't have a son or a daughter or whatever who wants to take on the business. The state agency, frankly, is still at the bottom of the social scale. I still occasionally fib when I go to dinner parties. People say, what do you do? I often say I'm a motorbike racer or something else completely different just to avoid having to say I was an estate agent. <laughs> it's, a, it's a difficult business to know what to. In 37 years for most people, they're going to be ready to retire, aren't they, probably? So, or go and do yeah. something else. Yeah, that's good. I used to tell girls when I was a lot younger and they'd say, well, what do you do? I was a, a lighthouse painter. That's what I used to say. I was like, there's not many in the UK. The red and white, oh, it's, it's a difficult job, but I love it. Yeah, they're not going to know where to go to verify that. I don't know. Would you fall for that, Rebecca? <laughs> I'd be like, just say you're a professional tennis player like Del Boy did or some really like that's why he's here asking the questions now clearly <laughs> yeah yeah yeah, yeah. It's really yeah. something <laughs> or just so, like in a band I don't... <laughs> try it see what happens so Ed how's everything going at view obviously with any sort of tech you start at zero or yourself and the funder or whoever else how's it going now We've been very lucky, I think, in so far as we started. Well, we've been lucky and unlucky. We started off at a time when an awful lot of prop tech businesses were just starting six or seven years ago. It was peak prop tech starting time. So there were lots of other people starting. It was very interesting. The vast majority of them have gone bust or out of business or aren't around anymore or have consolidated. 
we've now gone on. We're about we're, we're, we're coming up to half a million appointments, viewings we've done. The business makes money. We're stable in terms of cash in the bank. We're a proper SME, not a startup anymore. And we're doing about 15,000 appointments a month, growing at three or four percent a month. So it's a very interesting business. What perhaps is also interesting is that I envisaged originally when I started Viewer Up with estate agents, we go, yeah, this is the panacea for all of us. We don't need to employ weekend people anymore. We just use Viewer. Agents, the people who run estate agents are mostly people like me, they're middle aged men who've done the same thing for years and aren't open to change. So only 10% of what Viewer does now is estate agents. The vast majority of what we do are, as I said, housing associations, property managers, fire door inspections. We do a lot for small hybrid agents. We have completely enabled people who used to sit in estate agency offices and think, oh, this place is going to be alive for another 20 years. So I, if I want to go and start up on my own, I'm going to have to go and buy an office and employ people and or rent an office. And it was very expensive. Now you can go and sit in your back bedroom and Viewer will go and visit a property before you even want to go and see it with a WhatsApp video call. They'll do a full listing pack. So our local Viewer has the hardware to do a 360 tour do, and the floor plan, which is all done in 20 minutes and costs nothing. They will do the EPC and everything else. They'll then do all the viewings for you and hold the keys. They'll then um, meet the person, the tenant or the owner when they want to move into the place. We can do inspections, inventories, everything. We can do everything. So if you're wanting to start up as an agent now, you could just go and sit in your back bedroom and do everything through Viewer. So we've completely enabled a whole generation. And that doesn't even take into account what we do for the auction business, which, again, is everything. Auction businesses used to have a giveaway half their fee just to get viewings done in Hull if they were based in London. Now, for 120 quid, they can get three open houses, a floor plan, catalogue photographs just by pushing a button. Needless to say, that's been all of those areas have been much quicker to take on what we do than the estate agency sector. That's very interesting. I'm working with a number of prop tech startups at the moment who are looking to target agents. And I always warn them, it's, it's a challenge if you can find some other routes to market <laughs> with your tech solution. And that's not to criticize estate agents. They're really hardworking, busy people. And that's one of the reasons they're very difficult to sell to. So is that the reason you talked about the, for lack of a better term, pale sale and mail kind of um, demographic issue? But surely there are other reasons or do you just think it's a generational thing i think it's a generational thing honestly rebecca i think there is a real generational issue with estate agents there's a whole load of new ones coming through who are running businesses in their sort of 30s late 20s early 30s who are embracing the tech that's out there and i think a lot of estate agents have been conditioned to look at cost rather than value they just don't recognize value in things they just look with us with our viewings they just look at us People used to look at me and say, 30 quid for a half hour viewing, forget it. You know, we can I can employ someone for 10 pounds an hour. Not realizing that 10 pounds an hour person probably takes management, they leave every sort of two or three months, they don't turn up, they're not there's no reliability. In 40 quid for an hour with us, you can get eight people through a property if you do an open house and think differently, and you just use it when you need it. You haven't got to employ someone, there's no management time involved in it. So people don't look at that side of it. But your question marketing to agents is incredibly difficult because they're just diversified they're all over the place you can advertise on in the trade newspapers or the trade you know the negotiator property industry eye 
estate agent today, all those sort of things. But very, you know, you still be lucky if you get to two or three thousand people reading, going mm. on those websites. And there are, you know, tens of thousands of agents out there. So it's a very difficult market to get to, as you say, if you can find another route to market. The other thing is that there aren't really any of these CRM systems. Most of the CRM systems out there, to be blunt, are pretty useless. They're legacy systems. They don't work terribly well. They were designed to match buyers to sellers. It's no coincidence that Foxons did so well back in the sort of late 80s, early 90s, because they employed people to market to their database. They, I always say to someone, if you were, if ever you dealt with Foxons, go and buy a pay-as-you-go mobile phone, do the deal on the pay-as-you-go mobile phone, and then chuck it in the bin. Because otherwise, every six months for the rest of your life, someone from Foxons will bring you up and say, are you about to move? Do you want to rent something? What are you doing? And that's brilliant. Agents tend not to think like that and don't and don't capitalize or leverage those opportunities. Yeah, I like it. It's, it's, it's a really good concept. And it's one of those things that maybe wasn't seen as a problem, but actually is a massive problem, especially on the estate agency side. Again, I, I've worked with clients and trying to get into that estate agency, even though they've got like really good tech, like Property Deals Insight, got great tech. And it would help them so much to do that. But well, then the generational thing, so, sorry to interrupt you, Rich, but the generational thing that, that Rebecca was just referring to is incredibly important because back in the day, 70s and 80s, estate agents held the power. If you wanted to see a property, they had the stock and you would take an afternoon off work to go and look at them. That does not happen anymore. People are used to pushing a button and getting what they want when they want it. So... When you ring an estate agent now, a 25-year-old rings an estate agent and you want to go and see a property to rent and they say, sorry, can you do it on Tuesday afternoon? You go, sod off, mate, I'm working. Do it on Saturday when everybody else does it. That's the hole that we were trying to fill. And I think that's the difference with the new generation of people coming through is that they are going to be much more willing to service the customers. Agents have always thought, no, I'm being paid by the seller. I'll do what the seller wants. Nowadays, there's more realization that actually the customer is the buyer, and that's the one that you've got to focus on to, to a much larger extent. Viewer certainly helps you do that, but it's been a slow journey on the estate agency side. Next 10 years, are estate agents defunct? Are they going to either have to massively change or are they going to... When I started up Viewer, there was a, one of our bigger investors, and they're all individuals, apart from one big company who invested, who I know the CEO of very well. I won't say who it is, but the our, our biggest sort of personal investor, besides myself and Marcus, who set it up, turned around to me and he, I went to him. He was a hedge fund manager and or hedge fund owner, and he sat down, he listened to my pitch, and I know him fairly well, and he, he, he said, uh, he, halfway through the pitch, he said, hang on, wait there. He led back, he opened his door and he shouted to about two or three of his partners, just come in here, come and listen to this. And they all sat around and he said, just tell them what you just told me. So I went through my pitch again and he looked at them all. He said, why should estate agents exist in 10 years time with this? And then he handed me a check for just under a million quid. Now, the fact of the matter is, I think there's every reason to believe that what people out there in the public want is better service. And unless people start to provide it with the new generation of people coming through, all the people that are in their sort of 20s and th early 30s now, by the time they're able to buy properties, they're going to want a different service level. So I think we're going to be seeing more and more of the EXP type people who look, you know, it's a US style, then they work within their own territory and they use all the tech that's available as a backup. Now, 
clearly an awful lot of people who are established estate agents are going, what a load of rubbish, it's absolute rot. You will have read the trade press this morning, EXP, of course, Adam doing all his published to say, yeah, we're the fastest growing. And that's a little bit probably over the top. You've had problems with companies like Purple Brick. So he's had a very good employment strategy, which is just to pick up all the people that have been pissed off with the Purple Bricks changes. But nevertheless, that is growing and becoming more entrenched. So I think that's where the change, I think a state agency will look different in 10 years time, although it'll be more split. You'll have the big, the people who think they deserve Savills and Knight Frank, and then you'll have the sort of boutique people looking after people individually. And I do think there is still room for the purple bricks stripe type model. I still think there's room for that. I just don't think it's been done right up until now. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. I think the people at the top have a lot to, a lot to, upset. yeah, I think that's, yeah, that is interesting. So you obviously went down the funding route rather than the bootstrapped. Any particular reason for that? Would you recommend it, not recommend it? I would strongly recommend it. I remember one of the other people that started up at the same time of us was a, was a data mining business, not a data mining, but a data business. And every couple of months, the CEO was rushing off to his funder to try and get the next tranche of money. And it was just a constant battle. So ideally, clearly, to have it funded is a good idea. And bootstrapping it, some people, again, don't have a choice. <laughs> they don't have the ability to go out and raise some money. So I'm not denigrating either. But certainly from our perspective, having the money in the bank and actually, frankly, still having most of that, of that money in the bank is a great reassurance. If I was based in California and San Francisco, West Coast, US, I would have spent all the money within the first six months chasing market share and probably wouldn't be sitting here talking to you. So I think funding with a bootstrap mentality is probably the best combination that I can think of. Yeah, yeah that's good. Rebecca? Yeah, I'd love to know a bit more about your strategy. So you said that there were some challenges selling into estate agents. What led you to, what, did you start with estate agents and then go, this is a bit tough, we're going to diversify? Or was there always a plan from the beginning to go into other areas of um, property industry? I thought estate agents would go, yeah, as I said earlier, would say, yeah, that's fantastic. Let's go for it. And that we'd go from naught to, you know, 100,000 appointments within six months. It didn't work like that. It took us three months to do our first hundred. I was very lucky in that I had a significant profile within the industry before I even started Viva. So that I could parlay that PR profile into articles, columns, pieces. It gave me access to people's offices. It gave me the ability to do a tour with Richard Rawlings. He asked me to go along on a tour of his when he was doing one of his training tours. There were all sorts of sort of actions that I was able to pursue, which I wouldn't have had if I didn't have my profile. Frankly, the idea of doing what I did without having my profile just fills me with horror. It must be very tough for a lot of people starting off in PropTech. Yeah. So when you diversified into these other routes to market, how did you go about making a decision about where you were going to go and how you were going to grow because i'm just thinking as the pop tech that's going to need editing the, the prop tech growth podcast we talk a lot about how to grow your prop tech business and i'd really love to hear just a little bit more about how you yeah how you went about that strategically um strategically we went about it without spending a lot of money on it 
and I think the mistake we, we, we've been very unlucky. I talked earlier on a little bit about how we were lucky to start with lots of other prop tech businesses. We were unlucky in that we had to close twice during COVID, and we've had the Trust Quarteng Tea Party last year, which gave everyone a hell of a shock and stopped everything dead in its tracks for a few months. So we have had great difficulties from that perspective. We could be three years ahead of where we are now. And I think the things we've learned, build a database of people who at least have heard of you. So the downside was that we found estate agents weren't particularly uh, interested in what we do, but we did get a lot of inquiries. And we saw that a lot of people were coming to look at what Viva does from all sorts of other industries. So to start with, we looked at these industries so we could see there were people from housing associations looking and from the social sector looking at what we were doing on our websites with you know these days you can put markers on your website and see who's visiting so we thought let's employ a couple of consultants within those industries to talk to the industries and work out whether there is a niche and an opening for us and that was quite successful but what we did was we just built up an enormous database we got over ten thousand clients now which gives us a fantastic opportunity on the account management side to go to people who may have heard about us and say, what other departments or sections do you have? Because most businesses these days on the property side will have diversified. They will have had to have done because of the 0809 crisis, certainly into lettings, probably into some sort of property management. And if there's one thing I've learned, it's that the account management side of things needs to be beefed up, to my mind, more substantially than a new sales side. But you've got to find that database of people to be able to attack. We all know that it's 10 times easier to sell to someone who's used you before or has heard of you or as a recommendation than it is to do it cold. And that is the lesson I wish I'd learned three or four years ago to have to, to actually just concentrate on the database of people who are already using us and trying to get more business out of them than trying to chase new business. It's really interesting. Yeah, internal and external referrals across businesses and departments. Yeah. And people who know who you are engaging with you online and either are buying. I'm not being afraid to do editorials either. A lot of people, when they're asked to write about their business, make the mistake of thinking they've got to sound like Shakespeare. And actually, when you're writing, this is a lesson I got from my wife very early on. She said, just write as people talk. Often when people write, they write in a completely different way to the way they talk. But if you write the way someone talks, they will engage with you. So I found doing editorials, offering to do editorials, for instance, in the HMO sector, inside housing, news on the block, these sort of publications. You go and write about what you do without blatantly selling, but making it very clear that you can provide an answer to the problem you're writing about as well. So. It's a fascinating business to try and work out. I can understand why you do what you do. It's it's great fun trying to do it. And I like to think that I've had the brain to be able to go and winkle around and find out the best ways of turning the stone over and seeing what's underneath. It's been a fascinating journey. I think it's interesting that writing as you speak, because I write as I speak and then change it. But, um, <laughs> Uh, but well, it's very important to read what you've just written because so many people use far too many words as well they may talk as they speak but they might talk with too many words so when you go back over it just read it make sure you read it and people use the word that too often as an example and they use terrible expressions like reach out you know if i if any of my the people who work at viewer use the word read the expression reach out i'll just stop them and say no nope, no nope, it's get in touch with ring 
email, not reach out. It's horrible. You know, that. And there are several expressions like this that people use, which are instant turnoffs for people when they're reading something. So read it, and that's where you can alter it. So what I've found myself doing is I will go into like my personal Zoom room, record, and then just talk about what I want to say. And you've obviously got the, subs uh, the subtitle bit underneath. And then it saves as a video, but it also saves as the copy. And so I then go into there and then edit it like that. Not that I do a great deal of that, but I have done it before. And for me, that that works a bit different. Maybe I'm on the, the spectrum or something where I need to do something. Well, clearly, like that. Rich, clearly, but it, it but that is brilliant. I haven't heard of that before. Obviously, you can you can pick this thing up and talk into it, but that's very different. So I think that's brilliant. Very yeah. good. So how, if I wanted to be a, a, a view, but how, how does it work? Because it's interesting me around the sort of people can just go and because they're not employed by you. So are they contract? Is IR35 an issue for you for some people or how, how, how does it work? No, we don't have IR35. We haven't had IR35 issues. We've been tested on it. And the issue from our point of view is that there, it's many fold, but we don't provide a principal income for people. And also when a viewer becomes a viewer member with us, they, we don't guarantee to offer them any work and they don't guarantee to be able to provide the work for us. So there's no guarantee of work there at all. So, uh, and we have been tested, we have gone to court over it and we have been found not wanting, if I can put it like that. Also, of course, you've had the recent issues with Deliveroo where they've been they've been told, yes, you are you can keep your people as contractors. So that's been a pretty powerful piece of active sort of legislation, really. So it's yeah, I, I I don't think we have any issues from that point of view. And again, why shouldn't we be offering? The average age of our people is about 53. The majority of them, there are more women than men. A very large number of them have property experience. Why the hell shouldn't people be able to go and add a bit of extra income to their, if, if they want to? And the average distance people travel to show a property or to do an inspection for us is less than three miles. That's very green. You don't have people traveling across the countryside. We're carbon neutral. So we have the ability to turn around and say, actually, we're just saving money and time and CO2 for people. So it makes sense on so many levels. And to have local people doing work locally, when you go along and talk to them about this house or this flat, whatever it is, they know where the local hospital is and where the local train station is and which buses run and all that. So again, I'm not denigrating estate agents when they do it, but one other fairly interesting piece of uh, testing we did very early on was we asked a lot of people who'd recently bought a property whether they'd rather be shown by someone who worked for the estate agency or whether they just wanted to be let in and just shown, just be able to look around the place. And over four fifths, so 81% of people said they would much rather not be shown around by someone who's trying to sell them something. And so it, it just works on so many levels. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. That's good. It's good because that was that was one of the things that I was thinking about before the, the podcast how it worked. But yeah, I like that. It's good. We ended up buying this house because when we showed up, the estate agent was not a seller. He was just chilling out. He was great. <laughs> and we came in, and um, the lady who owned the house was having a garage sale, and the people who showed us around the house were her neighbours. 
and they were just like oh yeah there's this and there's that and we do things at the village hall and no there is no pub but there's all of these things and, they, and we just we got an introduction to the community we learned where all the local facilities were who could help you with what who's an electrician who's a builder who's this who's that within 15 minutes of arriving at the house and that warmth that local connection is really what sold us on it more than anything else i, well, I think one thing you've got to bear in mind if you look back and rich i'm sure you will both remember when countrywide were going through some problems they would used to issue their figures and 40 percent you know, for every pound they earned from property um commission they earned 41p from sale from selling services to buyers so mortgages insurance conveyancing services all this sort of stuff so one of the biggest or one of the stumbling blocks we found with the very big the corporates really was that they see visit meeting the agent there as an op meeting the buyer there as an opportunity to sell them a whole load of services hence why i think we had our, our comeback people don't want to be sold that sort of stuff and my answer to that is frankly you should be being sold this that stuff as a helpful add-on when you're on the phone before you even go so the idea that you turn up to look around a house and some young bloke's telling your girl is saying, have you got a mortgage? What is the mortgage? Sod off. I want to look at the house. I don't want to talk to you about that. So, but that was the reason that a lot of people originally didn't want Vuba to be going around. And they did try and turn out. They said to us, oh, can your Vuba give them a card from this company or that company? And of course we could do any of that. We could have our dashboard. Our dashboard is visited by tens of thousands of people every day. And we could put advertising things on that. We don't want to monetize any of that these days because we want to be a completely straight down the line service. It's all about quality for us. But that certainly the corporate mentality and selling people services was definitely a um, and worth mentioning, Rebecca, because you were talking about barriers to entry for some tech businesses. That's really interesting. I would love to compare the conversion rate on viewings for Vuba versus a typical high street. You don't have to ask Sandra Thompson, I think it is from Ludlow, not to come with surname Alex, anyway, from who's, who's the MD of, terrible, I shouldn't have forgotten that, so it's an age thing, MD of Ludlow Thompson, there's a testimony on our website, he said the offers come in from Vuba's at the same rate they do from the negotiators, so there is no difference. But again, a lot of people just talk to, no, I don't want some local person who's never seen, there's no such thing, we've done thick end of half a million viewings now with two two and a half thousand viewers nationally you can do the math to see how many viewings they've done each they've probably done they've done loads they know what they're doing these are not some sort of local policeman that you just chris watkin was difficult for a bit because he kept flipping saying his answer to people was say why wouldn't you want a local policeman showing my your property and of course people were going well, i don't want a local policeman showing my property you earn a few quid and that's not what viewers about so comments like that haven't been overly helpful if you're watching this chris <laughs> that's good that's nothing i haven't said to his face by the way so i'm you know. <laughs> yeah. yeah no doubt no doubt so just from your perspective for you and i know we touched on having a voice in the industry and things like that i know i think you did you started in chelsea or were you around london for most of your career yeah i was around chelsea for my entire career from start to finish and so do you feel that being in the London area and more affluent places helps you then when you want to go and do, obviously you've got your reputation, I get that, but does being in the London area and obviously networking and knowing probably most of the agents in London or high higher people, does that, has that helped 
as in is it going to be harder for well, the, yeah, that's a very valid question. Again, it, it, it speaks to Rebecca's question earlier about how do you get to people. The mistake I made initially was talking to all those owners of businesses, saying how marvelous, this is what I'm doing, this is Viewber, can we help? And actually, people who are running businesses like that, I'm not saying they lose interest, but at that time, and probably still now, they're probably getting 20 calls a week from people trying to sell, if not more, on email saying, can you do this, can you do that? And so, it definitely helped for me because of my reputation to get in and talk to people. And, and I learned very quickly that I wanted to say to them, right, I'm not interested in talking to you any further. Who do I need to talk to who actually is on the ops side? And the quicker you can get down to the ops people and the people on the ground, the better. So it's a yes and no answer to your question, Rich. I, it, it definitely helped. It certainly helped outside London. My reputation certainly helped me, which is odd. But it definitely helped me get into the sort of headquarters of LSL, Countrywide, Connells, to Michael and Kenny Bruce and these sort of people because they knew who I was. So it really helped to get in and talk to them when I probably wouldn't have been able to do that had I just been Joe Average. Not that there's anything wrong with being Joe Average. I just happened to be around longer doing it. That's all. Yeah, no, that's interesting. Like that. Rebecca, have you got any questions? Yeah, I just want to know what's on the horizon for Viewba. What's coming up? What's exciting? What's new? What's different? We've got some very exciting conversations going on with councils about because the biggest change for a lot of people have been these fire door inspections. And as you well know now, if you've got a building over 11 metres, you have to have them inspected quarterly and an annual certification. And frankly, I think that'll come in. I think most people who've got ordinary buildings, whether it's an HMO or a, whatever it is, will need some kind of audit trail to show that they kept an eye on their fire doors. And we've been, we have thousands of people locally who can just go in and check doors, take pictures of them. So, and for most people, that's the problem. So that is, we're having some huge conversations with people about doing that. So that is a, a hugely strong growth area. Uh, and very exciting. And the other issue for us is the is HMOs. People rentals obviously have got more and more difficult, and the, the supplies got tighter and tighter for all the reasons we know about. So HMOs have been rising and rising in pop. Not popularity is the wrong word, but there are more and more of them about properties being divided up into individual rooms. And again, from a compliance perspective, there's a much bigger need to keep an eye on them, check the doors, and check the properties, and all this sort of stuff. So that's a very big growth area for us. What's on the horizon? I don't know. I'm 63. I don't want you doing this for the rest of my life. I think there are loads of opportunities for people who are trying to build software platforms or end-to-end -end services. I think Viewba has a unique place for people. We've had endless conversations with people saying, oh, we want to buy you. We want to do this. We think we can do this with you. We can scale you. Ours is a massively potentially scalable business, which we've had marketing issues in terms of just not wanting to spend all our money to try and go into one area so that scaling has been slower for us if someone i think there's definitely opportunities for someone to come along and say to us okay here's x and grow the business at a much faster rate i think there are opportunities for us um, as i think i mentioned in the auction sector we do an awful lot in the auction sector so there are plenty of opportunities for people to further invest in that so i don't know but i don't think that i'll be doing what i'm doing now in two years time I'm too old for that shit. <laughs> I hear myself saying that every day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and companies in my case, it's true. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Brilliant. Thank you so much for giving up your time and telling us about Viewer and, uh, and yourself.
Thanks for joining us on the PropTech Growth Podcast. To learn more, you can find us on LinkedIn or email proptechpodcast at icloud.com. See you next time.